Hello, Harness Racing fans. Edison Hatter here. Another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter. This week, we will have special guest Caton Bradar, who we'll bring in in a little while. But to kick things off here this morning, let's talk about the Woodbine Mohawk card from Saturday evening after the Hamiltonian. Robert Reed Jr. and I talked you through those races last Friday and gave you some pick five tickets for that early pick five with that $100,000 guaranteed pool. And well, Hopefully you didn't listen to our advice too closely, and hopefully you were able to cash a ticket yourself. Race one, the five major occasion A, who both Robert and I like, got the job done at eight to five, returned $5.70 to win. So a good start for both of us. But race two is where it fell apart for both of us. We both only used two horses there, the two logical favorites, and we both didn't suspect anyone else could win that race. But that's why they run the race, and the four, this dragon rocks, Blew up the tote board, an $89.20 winner, knocked ourselves and I'm sure many other players out of that early pick five. And then in race three, another bit of an upset, the two twin B fighter who was the first or I believe second choice on the morning line, but was kind of an interesting horse there coming back off of a bit of a break, ended up going off at five to one and got the job done returning $12.50 to win. So not a bad price if you were still alive after three legs in the pick five. And it got a lot better after the fourth leg, if you were still alive. Race four, the four, J.M. Jack of Hearts, getting the job done and returning $76.50 to win. So the second huge upset in the first four races. And finally, to close it out, race five, at least Robert and I did give you a winner there. The eighth, Where We Vital, returns $2.90 as the two to five favorite, getting the job done from post eight on the big class drop. Robert Reed Jr.'s best bet of the night, in fact, getting the job done there. So the 20 cent ticket for that pick five sequence on Saturday evening returned over $16,000. So hopefully someone out there cashed one of those that's listening. And also just to finish up the recap here on Woodbine Mohawk in race eight, we talked to you, to you about the Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division, nearly $160,000 purse for that race. And my top selection I gave you was the eventual winner, the eight Bulldog Hanover. But there was a lot of action in this race. Bulldog Hanover never saw a pylon, ended up second over the whole way, but did get that cover, which allowed him to kick home strongly enough to get the job done as your 9-5 to favorite, returning $5.80 to win. Now, the other two logical horses that Robert and I talked about were Lawless Shadow, the Meadowlands Pace Champion, and he had an absolutely brutal, brutal, brutal trip in this race. Ended up in a speed duel through an opening fraction of 25-4. and four. They went to the half in 53-4, and four, and he ended up being parked outside the whole way, provided that cover for the eventual winner, Bulldog Hanover, but just an impossible trip for Lawless Shadow. And likewise, Desperate Man, the other horse that we figured to be logical in the spot, ended up fourth over, also never saw a pile on, and ended up very wide into the stretch and was just out finished by the top four finishers. He ended up finishing, I believe, sixth or seventh in there. So underneath some prices, the four powertrain rounded out a $77 exacta. He was 25 to 1, finishing second. The one better son at 5 to 1 rounded out a nearly $400 trifecta. And the six Jimmy Connor B at 74 to 1 rounded out a nearly $7,600 superfecta for a dollar. So 8, 4, 1, and 60 order finished there in that Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division. The eight Bulldog Hanover at 9 to 5, winning that race. So Woodbine Mohawk Racing will resume tonight here, Tuesday night, with some pretty good races. Ontario Sire Stakes Grassroots. There's three divisions on the trot for the three-year-old Colt and Geldings. The Win You Wish Upon a Star two-year-old Philly Pace Final for nearly $80,000 will come up as race two. 
And later in the card, race 10, a preferred trot event for 34000 So a very good card at Woodbine Mohawk tonight. And also we'll have Woodbine Mohawk racing action on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week. And I will be back with you later this week with some other special guests who talk about the Friday and Saturday night racing action from Woodbine Mohawk. We'll talk some of the featured races as well as give you some hopefully winning early pick five tickets this week. And I forgot to mention last week, but I will now for all race nights at Woodbine Mohawk. Free pass performances are offered, and you can find those online at woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs. So with that out of the way, we will bring into the show our special guest for the day. We have Kate and Bradar from TVG. Kate and welcome. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. So Katen was with us this past Saturday at the Meadowlands for Hamiltonian 2021. And as I discovered earlier this week, going through some old broadcasts of the Hamiltonian, it was not your first time there. You were part of some CBS broadcasts back in the day, Katen. Yeah, you know, way back in the day, <laughs> I uh, I was really very fortunate that um, every once in a while I got to switch over from the thoroughbreds and get back um the harness racing was a part of my family history, but um, I grew up around thoroughbreds primarily. So um, it was nice when CBS Sports gave me a chance to cover um, the Hamiltonian occasionally. Um, I, I think I covered about uh, maybe four or five times and actually got to do some fan education as well. Um, but I worked alongside Gary Seibel and um, really enjoyed covering Hamiltonian. And it's fortunate that TVG has gotten to cover the Hamiltonian as well. So we get to keep our foot in the door. But um, it was a treat. It was the first time I'd been back in uh, well over 10 years. Um, And boy, what a great day to come back for. That it certainly was. And Kate, now you mentioned the first time you're back in 10 years. So that also means that Saturday must have been your first time in the new building. It was. And, you know, I I didn't know what to expect. I've heard a lot of things, great things about the new building. But what I loved about it, um, besides the fact that I really felt that it gave you the opportunity to be up close to the action and to the the racing and the horses and the horsemen, was the fact that while you, you felt kind of it was a more intimate feeling, you still had the feeling of a great race place and a great sporting atmosphere. Um, and you still had kind of that, I don't know, you had a feeling of something going on. Um, a lot of the activities and the, you know, the family friendliness going on on the apron and the other activities that were happening. But then when you got inside the facility itself, you still had the excitement of, of a sports book and uh, the gambling and the action going on. So I thought it was kind of a mixing of all worlds that kind of came together, but in a bit more of an intimate setting. So I really loved it. I, I thought it was a great, great setting for the event. And um, especially um, being based kind of in the press box and on the rooftop and getting to see what was done with that area, which was a little unlike any other facility I've been in, to have that rooftop perspective of the action and the open air concept um, and to know that, that that area, that space could be used for so many other functions um, and get new fans out, I think is just a great way to expose people to racing, but also allow them to come in from different avenues. Um, and that was rocking. I, I have to tell you, going up and down all day, that that was the spot to be on Hamiltonian Day. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, make a good point there and uh, really well said about 
the facilities and especially that rooftop because you kicked me out of my usual spot sitting up there doing the TVG coverage for the Meadowlands. And- <laughs> it is a great spot, though, and I appreciate it. <laughs> that it certainly is. It's okay. I ended up in the back paddock, and I guess I'll get a chance to talk about this a little bit later, but one of the coolest things for me all day was getting to drive back with Dexter Dunn in the van after he won the Hamiltonian Oaks and just getting to sit beside someone after winning a $500,000 race. So plenty of cool experiences on my end as well. But anyway, age has its privileges. I have to tell you, that's the, but, but you know what? I, that was the only, my only regret, um, you know, with TVG, because our emphasis is on the action and we have so many signals to cover. We, um, you don't get to spend quite as much time with the horses and the horsemen themselves. So in that respect, you've got one over on me because I would have loved to have been in, in your shoes where you were at for that experience. That's tremendous. And I guess we both did get the opportunity throughout the day, kind of up and down, or for me, from the back to the front, to definitely get a look at that apron, which you mentioned, um, with all of the kind of carnival-like atmosphere, all the events there. I mean, anyone listening has never been to Hamiltonian Day. In fact, Saturday was my first Hamiltonian Day. It definitely is an experience you have to take in, just the family atmosphere, as you mentioned. Obviously, there's good gambling opportunities on the card. Just all around, just truly is the greatest day in harness racing. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I can't state that enough. And I think that's something that even um, I have a hard time trying to convey to my my thoroughbred colleagues as far as who haven't experienced Hamiltonian or harness racing, that I think that um, harness racing really, really does well. And especially Hamiltonian Day. Um, when, when I came in, in addition to the Hamiltonian and the Hamiltonian Oaks, you have so much quality throughout the entire card. And um, that's something that I always look forward to. You know, it's not just one race or even two big races. There, when we were talking about the card going into it, I think, what was it? Seven of the top 10 ranked harness racers in the country were performing on the day. That is so rare, you know, in any type of horse racing to see that on any single day. In thoroughbred racing, you wouldn't see that outside of perhaps the Breeders' Cup. And even then, it would be rare for you to take a a ranking of the top 10 that were performing in the nation and get seven of the 10 on the same program. And, you know, that's what we had on Saturday. And that is such a treat for me in any discipline um, to get that opportunity to see seven of the top 10 athletes performing. Um, it's just a, it's just a rare opportunity. And uh, I, I went down, that was the, you know, I did go down and get to see Manchego and I really wanted to, with Manchego and Beads in the same race, I really wanted to be down there and just get to see them up close and see them afterwards in the winter circle, but out on the track, awaiting uh, the results of the photo and everything. Um, you know, you, you don't get to see stars like that very often. So uh, that was that was one of the highlights for me of the day. But uh, the quality is there and the betting obviously is there. The one thing I would say is that they're so consistent that you don't get too many big prices because the favorites do come through uh, on days like Campbelltonian Day. Yeah, definitely were some favorites that got job done. A couple of upsets earlier in the card, but yeah, you make a really great point that we do in harness racing, you know, the with these horses that are able to race every single week, it's much more likely that when these big days come around, you will get all the stars come out in the same day where, much like you, I also enjoy my thoroughbreds, obviously Kentucky Derby Day, Breeders' Cup Day, you know, these are all the big days of racing, but sometimes certain schedules happen, you know, and it's a little bit tougher to get them all on the same card. 
For sure. I I think it just, um, I mean, I think it speaks to the way these types of sports unfold over the course of a calendar year um, and kind of the rigors of their particular disciplines, but, uh, and the calendars. I I also think that um, it's just kind of the way the sport unfolds. Harness racing um, has always though, that's one thing that impressed me. I remember the very first time I ever went to um, the little Brown jug day. And I I just was amazed that how many good horses you had world-class horses on a single day. It just was amazing. And it seems to me that that happens more often in harness racing than it does in thoroughbred racing. And I think that maybe part of it is that in thoroughbred racing, you know, it almost behooves the participants to try to avoid running against each other until that one big day, whether it's the Derby or the Triple Crown races or the Breeders' Cup. Um, Whereas in harness racing, I think the goal is for them to compete against each other as often as possible. Um, And, you know, they don't shy away from that. Whereas I think in thoroughbred racing, um, they kind of are rewarded for waiting and, and trying to take the path of least resistance against each other until it's absolutely necessary. And then, of course, you do have the laws of attrition at work, too. Um, and but there are there are more options too. I would suggest that um, as far as the big money opportunities are concerned, you can you know there's a plethora of races that offer the same purses and are at the same distance and are at the same place. But in harness racing, because they're all the same distance for the most part, um, it's you know there are limited opportunities for the top prizes, and at each turn you have to take your shot the best against the best. And I, I kind of, I like that. I really, really like that, that you, they're not afraid of the challenge. They, they go up against it each time and you, you have to be really good and you take your shot and sometimes you get beat, but in the end you, I think have really, really good, strong horses at the end of the day that, that prove their mettle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, for me, that was someone that, was kind of brought into the sport relatively recently, actually. So for me, I think the horse that really, really drew me in was Justify, who, of course, only raced at three and was kind of quickly, you know, off of the scene just as fast as he was in, 112 days from maiden to triple crown winner and never to be seen again. Whereas these harness horses, as you mentioned, might race against each other every single week and really just form a good rivalry. And I think from a fan perspective, from even an owner or trainer rivalry perspective, you know, really creates some big intrigue in some of these races. So to talk about one last thing before we actually recap some of our big races on Saturday, let's talk a little bit about the weather. So obviously my first Hamiltonian and your first in a while, but my understanding from some of my other colleagues more experienced up there on the TV team at the Meadowlands, this was actually a very good weather day that we got. It was unbelievable. Usually, now, as I said, I've been away for a long time, but my memories of Hamiltonian were melting <laughs> most of the time. And and I know that um, this year, um, for instance, on uh, Meadowlands Pace, it was horrible, a monsoon. So no, this was as good as you can really get because there was some cloud cover and there was a nice breeze, even though it was warm, it was outstanding as far as the weather was concerned. You're always gonna have warm temperatures in August, um, but it it was really, really, I, I think, ideal 
um, given the circumstances and the timing. Um, you had uh, that breeze that came through. You didn't have it unbearable. And, um, you know, the warm temperatures, as long as you don't have rain, you get the warm temperatures, but you get the, a little bit of a breeze coming through. Um, you have the people outside and on the apron all day long, and you're still going to get those fast times, but you're going to get that fair type of a track. Um, I, I thought it couldn't have been better. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit of rain there. Meadowlands Pace Night, I remember uh, I was doing TVG coverage that night, went down to the winter circle in the pouring, pouring rain for the Meadowlands Pace and came back up to uh, here. I think it was Scott who was with me or one of our TVG producers who, by the way, they all do great work, um, was telling me that they were looking at me in the winter circle just looking soaked in the suit and tie. So definitely some pretty comfortable weather on Saturday. But even so, I guess you and I got to cheat a little bit with you in the press box and me in the back paddock kind of hiding out in the air-conditioned driver's lounge. So, you know. (laughs) I didn't mind that. (laughs) So anyway, so to talk about some of these races on Saturday, and we could write an entire novel on probably all 16 races, but just to highlight three of the big ones, and you had already kind of alluded to it. Let's start with race 11, talking about the John Cashman Memorial, the TVG free-for-all, and like you, I made a special trip from the back paddock up to that winter circle just to say that I have seen up close and in person the horse that I just said in the interview this past week was personally for me the greatest horse I think I've ever seen in person, Manchego. Well, see, I saw Moneymaker. And I remember when, um, in fact, Julie Crone uh, was uh, in the tack uh, with Moneymaker as well. So I had seen kind of the precursor to this. And that's in part why I really wanted to see her in person, because um, she was trying to do something that Moneymaker had done. And, uh, I, I, you know, the, I, I was interested because um, she had to work awfully hard to get past beads. And at the end, it was really hard to tell who had won the race. But And when I was watching the race unfold, I was concerned because she had to go awfully fast and she was tested. But I so respect Dexter Dunn, who it was a take no prisoners kind of a race. He, he was all out from the get go and allowed her to do what she does best. And, um, you know, they had to take it to her. They put her to the test. Beads gave her everything she could ask for. And at the end, um, it was hard to separate them, but she still prevailed. And uh, boy, that was, I mean, she had to dig down and just prove what she was made of. And what a heartbreaker for beads. But at the end of the day, um, she, to me, proved what she was all about. I I saw people that uh, posted that maybe she wasn't quite what she has been, but I thought she was every bit more because I really felt that she had every right to not prevail over a really, really good and very game beads. And yet, um, she still found a way to win. So it's a race that I'll really remember. And I do think, I mean, I, I, I think, and I don't have the perspective of some of the, um, those who have covered the sport more closely, um, but I, I believe Moneymaker is one of the greats of all time, at least in my lifetime. And so I think Manchego is right up there with her or very, very close. Let me put it that way. So it was a real honor to get to see her again. And what I love about uh, horses like her are that, that they seem to know what they've done, but, but she's very, I, you know, she just like, when she came back to the winter circle, she's like, okay, um, I've done it. Let me take my picture and um, just get on with it. But she wasn't, you know, she was just kind of calm when she came back and just um, enjoyed the winter circle, but she seemed to enjoy just getting, getting a little water and just a kind of very chill. <laughs> and I love to see that. I like to see, um, the interaction of her with her caretaker 
and with Nancy Tactor when she came back. And you can tell how much love is surrounding her. Um, but uh, I, I thought just a really special moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a couple takeaways from that Cashman Memorial. First things first, I'll, I'll admit that I was wrong. As the track announcer that I am, everyone always looked at me when we were sitting there on set watching the race live. And I said I thought Beads got there up the inside. But to be fair, part of my logic was Manchego, with that win, is now 6 for 7 this year. And it's been a goal of mine to make sure I get a good picture of her in the winner's circle, you know, right up beside her. And the one other time this year that I happened to be right by the winner's circle when she was racing, she lost a tight photo like that. So I was anticipating heartbreak again for my personal desire to see Manchego up close. But glad to see that she prevailed. And, you know, I think it speaks... And I think we see this on the thoroughbred side, too, with, with jockeys and, and the harness racing with the drivers. But it's amazing to me how friendly and fan-friendly and personable these guys are. Um, there's a great photo on our Meadowlands Twitter page of Dexter Dunn actually taking a selfie with Manchego and a fan who just happened to be along the rail as they were coming back to the winner's circle. So, you know, it's something I think very unique to harness racing, just that great fan interaction, how close you can get to the action. Whereas, you know, if you go to a Yankees game, I don't think you're going to see Aaron Judge come high five you and take a selfie after a home run or something yeah yeah it is it is really i mean i i think it is um so anyway so yeah so manchego beating beads and you know uh, beads was in no ways disgraced in that race as he put in another big effort from post nine he was an impressive winner in the hamiltonian maturity at eight and a half to one from post 10 that was one of those rare non-mile races that was a mile and an eighth but Manchego, the champ, she does it again. She beats the boys yet again for the first time, as you mentioned, since Moneymaker here in the John Cashman Memorial. And, you know, they almost retired her after the TVG finals last November. So how glad we can all be that she's been brought back for at least one more season. I, You know, I think that that was a real testament to her connections. And I, I for one, am, am thrilled that that is what transpired. And, um I think the fans really got a, a treat as well. Absolutely. I think uh, many fans are very happy to see her back on the track this year, and I've got to think the connections so far have to be pretty happy with their decision as well. So as we move on later in the card to race 14, that was the Hamiltonian Oaks, number 96, the final for the three-year-old Phillies on the trot, a $500,000 purse, and lo and behold, Dexter Dunn gets the win again with Bella Bellini at 1-2. to two. Yeah, you know, that one maybe was too obvious. Um, I, I thought I was trying to make a case for, you know, Lady Chaos as uh, Lady Chaos had been able to better Bella Bellini going into it in the eliminations. Um, you know, every everyone I had spoken to and in watching the race had said, you know, Bella Bellini is the, the real deal and, you know, had really turned the corner after um, that disappointing two-year-old season. And, you know, don't hold that that narrow defeat against her. Um, um, and I just thought, well, maybe, but yeah, but Lady Chaos still was able to beat her. Yes, she had everything her own way, but, um, and then, you know, you had some other quality fillies in there, but um, I, I really was kind of focusing on those two. And obviously that was a little bit of a mistake. <laughs> I mean, Bella Bellini um, was, was really the better horse in this one. And, um, you know, I, I think in retrospect, um, you just had to believe the hype and believe the record that she had going into the eliminations and also trust the fact that, um, you know, Dexter Dunn knew exactly what he had as well and that uh, she was able to showcase that in, in the 
Meadowlands Oaks. And, and I think the race kind of came together perfectly for her as well. But, you know, a lot of times you, you, you make cases for trips and things, but the truth is good horses make their own luck, in my opinion, or make their own trips. And I think that was an example of it. Absolutely. Uh, she ended up probably about the four or five path or so turning for home, but still was just very, very confident drive from Dexter Dunn. I think he knew what horse he had underneath of him. And, um, you know, I alluded to it earlier that for me personally, my maybe my coolest thing of the day was obviously we got the vans all the time that go from the winter circle back to the back paddock. And that's kind of the loop I was taking all day. Well, in the van ride back after the Oaks, it was just the driver, me and Dexter Dunn in the van together. And uh, it was very cool to sit beside someone after they've won a $500,000 race. And, you know, Dexter, obviously, for all of his accolades and accomplishments, he has, uh, you know, as usual, cool as a cucumber. And just, uh, you know, I was asking him about it. And he said how, you know, great it is, obviously, to realize turn it for home what you got underneath you. And, you know, uh, that, that's got to be a really great feeling to see the leaders in front of you and know that you can reel them in. And uh, indeed she did winning there by two and a half. And uh, there was some big prices underneath there. Iteration at 45 to one rounds out the exacta. The trifecta rounded out by the longest shot on the board at 97 to one contested Hanover and Darlene Hanover at 16 to one rounded out a nearly $1,300 superfecta payout for a dime. So although there may have been some favorites winning, there were definitely some big prices to be had underneath. If you come up with those. It, and, you know, in contrast to, to Bella Bellini, you have to say that if if iteration has a different draw or in a, in a kind of a different situation across the board, it might be a different outcome. Iteration is really has the makings of a very, very nice filly. Um, and going forward, I would not be surprised to see her um, being a horse that we're talking about a year from now. As she's, she's an awfully nice, uh, nice trotting mare. Yeah, it definitely was a very good field in the Hamiltonian Oaks, as well as the Hamiltonian this year. So I think we'll see a lot of big names coming out of these races in the future. But Bella Bellini, and as you mentioned, a disappointing two-year-old campaign. She went 0 for 7 last year, but, you know, sometimes in this game, it's all about peaking at the right time. Even also true going into Derby, right? You got to peak on the first Saturday of May. Well, in this sport, you have to peak in the first Saturday in August. And Bella Bellini has done just that with a very impressive three-year-old campaign that she is putting together. And she now has the crowning achievement of that three-year-old season, the Hamiltonian Oaks victory on Saturday. So turning the page one race back, the Hamiltonian number 96, the final for the three-year-old Open Trotters, a million-dollar purse. And you and I had the same top selection in here. We both liked the one delayed Hanover, who personally I thought had a chance turning for home, but ended up getting passed by a couple there coming down towards the wire late and finished fourth. Yeah, I, I can't complain. I thought um, he was well positioned. I did think that he, he had a chance and um, Captain Corey was just too good, right? I mean, he I looked as if in his eliminations that he had everything his own way. And it was kind of the way it looked again in the uh, Hamiltonian. I mean, he goes uh, forwardly early and then he just uh, kind of keeps on going. And, you know, when uh, Oki Svonstead had said that, uh, this was the best horse he had ever trained or been around. Um, probably should have believed him. I mean, <laughs> he was spot on with that assessment. Um, the horse was very easy to the front and, um, you know, just kind of kept on going. And um, I thought a very impressive performance uh, from Captain Corey. Um, you could kind of see in the latter stages of the race 
that he was going to just keep doing what he did. He he is able to accelerate, but accelerate very gracefully and easily and, you know, kind of find another gear without having to, um, you know, in the later stages of the race, even when he accelerates or digs in, he's able to do it without looking like he's doing it under pressure. And that to me is a sign of a really, really good horse. Um, you can see that in other breeds of horses too, that when they're asked for more, they do it effortlessly. And I, I think I had read in the notes um, a lot of allusions to his stride, and he really does have an incredible stride um, where he's able to quicken, but you don't see it as far as uh, any pressure. You just see them um, lengthen, you know, and, and just kind of turn it on, but gracefully. And I, that's what I sort of observed with Captain Corey. And to me, that's the sign of a very, very good horse. Yeah, he was super impressive in that win. This is yet another time. I will happily admit that I was wrong. I personally did not think Captain Corey could get away with that type of front-running type trip that he had in the uh, elimination. But he pretty much got it again and maybe even, well, for sure, tougher here for a million dollars because the 10, Quattro de Olio, left out of there and ended up pressing him for the first half mile. I mean, they went 26 flat to the quarter, 54 flat to the half. And Quadro de Olio fades then to finish seventh, whereas Captain Corey just kept going on the front end. Um, as we already mentioned, you know, our top selections, the late Hanover ended up in a great spot, I thought, turning for home just in that pocket, but just just wasn't able to reel in Captain Corey, who just kept going on the front end. And likewise, like the Hamiltonian Oaks, some good prices underneath the three spy booth, who I interviewed Tim Tietrick earlier in the day, and he actually did speak pretty well of him. And uh, they did indeed pick up second at 55 to one for Nancy Tactor. The nine ambassador Hanover, who I personally sentimentally was cheering for as the track announcer at Freehold, one of the preps for the Hamiltonian, the first prep of the season actually, is the Dexter Cup held at Freehold Raceway on May the 1st. It was only Kentucky Derby Day. And ambassador Hanover was third in that race and ended up finishing third here in the Hamiltonian, flying on late, fastest last quarter of anyone in the race, 27-3, and three, getting third there on the wire. Obviously delayed Hanover finishing out fourth at four to one. Ambassador Hanover was forty-one to one, so that resulted in a superfecta also over a thousand dollars of one thousand and sixty dollars for just a dime. So again, a favorite winning the Hamiltonian Oaks and the Hamiltonian, but still because of what was underneath, exact or superfectas for a dime of over a thousand dollars in both races. Amazing. Um, so. It was very impressive. Um, so for the gamblers that had winning tickets there, they definitely had to be happy. Um, and also, you know, we get this a little bit in the thoroughbred side with, I'm thinking of, I believe 2007, if I'm correct, I believe Todd Pletcher may have had five in that derby. But for sure, we get a trainers with a lot of entries in big harness races. And in particular, on this Saturday, this year, the two pick ones were... Nancy Tactor and Oki Svonstad. Nancy Tactor had three in the race and uh, really fast was probably the favorite of the three Tactor trainees, but he ended up making a break. He has, at his best, he can be very good, but when he's off, he definitely um, can put in some clunkers and some poor efforts. But uh, Locatelli for Nancy Tactor also made a break, but nonetheless, she did pick up a nice check with the second place finish with Spy Booth. But at least in the Hamiltonian, for sure, the big winner of the day has to be Oki Svonstad, who finished first, third, and fourth with Captain Corey, Ambassador Hanover, and Delayed Hanover. I mean, can you even imagine what it'd be like to have three of the top four finishers in the biggest race in your sport? 
it, you know, it has to be just a, like a, a surreal experience, right? If you, um, if you have been immersed in a sport like that and spend the time and the effort that uh, horsemen do, and then not only to win it, but to have that type of a performance, it's just got to be surreal. Um, and, and really to have a horse like Captain Corey put in the performance that he did, that too, because as you say, um, you wouldn't have thought that he could sustain that type of a, a style um, and put in the type of race that he did in the elimination. And he comes right back under pressure in the biggest race of them all for a million dollars um, with the stable mates surrounding him and under pressure every step of the way. And then he he ends up winning it the way he does. So, yeah, a huge day for Oki Sponstead. And um, I'm sure he was floating on cloud nine. I, I listened into um, in his post race, and and you could hear some emotion in his voice, and and you really could tell what what the occasion meant to him for sure. Yeah, for sure. I suppose uh, 2019 Kentucky Derby type feelings is what Oki must have had back in 2017 when he won his first Hamiltonian, but it was via disqualification. So for sure, I'm obviously a victory is a victory, especially in a million dollar race. But for sure, it's got to feel good to get one crossing the wire first. I you know. Having maybe um, been around people when this has happened through disqualification, at least in the Derby, I can attest to the fact that it's got to be a little bit different. It is always good to win um, an event, especially when it's an event like the Hambletonian or the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's it's the pinnacle. However, when you win it through someone else's misfortune or when you don't win it outright, there's it's a little bit bittersweet. So the fact that he was able to get this one under this type of a, a situation where you win it outright and on top of it all to have such good showing from your entire barn has got to be sort of the icing on the cake. A much different experience than winning it via DQ, I'm sure. Yes, better than our first big race this year. We did have that disqualification in the Meadowlands pace this year with all the shadow being put up when Charlie May was disqualified and uh, obviously, in the thoroughbred world, right down the road at Monmouth, we had the disqualification of Hot Rod Charlie as well. Uh, so that was an interesting day, to say the least, a couple weeks ago in the state of New Jersey for both thoroughbred and harness racing. You know, I think the entire day was was definitely a turning point or a turnaround from uh, from a from Meadowlands Pace Day and from a lot of what had happened previously. I mean, even in addition to um, all the highlights that we talked about. I, there was one other thing that had happened on the day that I had kind of forgotten about, but, you know, um, earlier on the day, tattoo artist um, captured a minor race, $50,000 pace. Um, but he, he put in a time three quarter mile time of one eighteen and change, I believe, you know, I, and granted, I don't watch as much harness racing as many, but I have never seen that before myself definitely have never seen it in person that's the fastest three-quarter time split time i have ever seen <laughs> so that is and then he won in a very very tight photo and that was a that is a horse that i've watched over time and i think it's a really game competitor and kind of a cool horse uh, just four but um i had seen him previously and i really like him a lot and and had picked him so it was one of my few winners on the day so to win in that fashion um, just kind of was the taste of all the things to come on what was just an amazing day. Yeah, absolutely. That was an amazing race. I was in the driver's lounge during that race, and uh, obviously some horsemen and other drivers were back there, and I, I think we were all just kind of uh, mouths agape and uh, jaws to the floor watching this 
this race unfold. And um, I, this is very unofficial, but I, to the best of my knowledge, the way I understand it from our TV team personalities that have been there much longer than I, they believe this may very well have been the fastest three quarters ever at the Meadowlands. But if not, it certainly was close. And yeah, it was 118 and three. And uh, he was surely banging, banging for the wire um, in the stretch, but it did come just in time uh, for tattoo artist in that very impressive effort. And, um, but back to the Hamiltonian real quick, just from a gambling perspective, overall, it was a very good day. Um, the Hamiltonian handled nearly 1.1 million, which was the highest total in, I believe, the last 10 years. So a very good Hamiltonian for sure from a gambling perspective, handle-wise. And again, weather-wise, uh, in terms of quality of races, just all around, you know, and a fantastic. It really is, again, the greatest day in harness racing for sure. Well, hopefully that will ensure my return visit next year. <laughs> But that that is a win. When when there is good handle on a race, that's a win for everyone um, going forward, for sure. Um, because to me, a good handle signifies health of of the industry. Um, when when people will put their money up to wager on the horse race, it's a sign of health in the sport and trust in the sport. And so that is the most positive sign of the of all things that we can, we can find. Um, so that is the best news of all. For sure. And as we're starting to run out of time here, Caton, for sure. I thank you for joining me here today on the show. And for sure, we hope to see you either at Hamiltonian 2022, or maybe even sooner than that, hopefully back up at the Meadowlands. I would love it. And I really appreciate everybody who uh, took the time to come on over and, and say hi, and also welcomed me back. It was just a tremendous trip, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm I'm looking forward to maybe catching some racing here in Kentucky as well. Uh, I've no Red Mile. Had to cancel the other day because of uh, some weather, but hopefully we get some good racing and, and some good weather in soon. But I look forward to seeing everybody at the Meadowlands soon. So for anyone listening along that would like to continue the conversation with either Kate or I, we both can be found on Twitter. So for Katen, it is at CBradar. That's C-B-R-E-D-A-R. And for me, it's at Edison underscore 1999 underscore. So at E-D-I-S-O-N underscore 1999 underscore. And uh, be on the lookout later in the week for further episodes of First Over with Edison Hatter on Wednesday evening and Thursday evening. So tomorrow night, actually, already, we'll be talking about the Friday night card at Woodby Mohawk. And on Thursday night, we'll be talking about the Saturday night action from Woodby Mohawk. So we'll be looking forward to getting those draws out here today, seeing what entries we have, and get ready to talk about the featured races and give you some, hopefully, again, winning tickets this week in the early pick five, both Friday and Saturday nights at Woodby Mohawk. And again, tune into Woodby Mohawk's action tonight, some Ontario Sire Stakes action, a preferred trot, and a nearly $80,000 final for the two year old Philly. Pacers, so some very good racing action up north of the border this week. But this will conclude episode two of First Over with Edison Hatter. Again, thanks once again to special guest Kate and Bradar for joining us here today, and we'll talk to you next time.